0: you're listening to the SSPX podcast. This is the third episode of Father Stephen McDonald's virtual retreat on the topic of humility if we wish to be an apostle of the sacred heart. If you are able to help support the work of the SSPX podcast, which is produced by Angelus Press, please visit sspxpodcast.com. There you can set up a recurring donation of just five dollars a month. If we have enough people to do that, that will greatly help with this apostolate and to be able to reach more people with the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism. Now, here's Father Stephen McDonald. In the first two conferences of this retreat, we have seen the importance of a spirit of humility in the service of God. We've seen the importance of the great love that the Sacred Heart puts on humility. Christ has given us the perfect example by his teaching, by his example. The Sacred Heart has revealed its great necessity If we wish to be his apostles, humility is absolutely necessary for us to be apostles of the sacred heart. Now, for this conference, we will turn to the practical means to put this spirit into practice, to practice the virtue of humility. And thus, we'll firstly consider the virtue of humility, what it is and how to practice it. Secondly, we will consider the sins against humility and how best to avoid them. And then finally, we will consider why humility is so important, especially for us in this age in which we live in, an age so full of selfishness and promotion of self. So firstly, we consider the virtue of humility. It's defined quite simply as the moral virtue which restrains the inordinate desire for one's own excellence. The key word, of course, here is inordinate desire. We can certainly desire excellence, and we should. We're called, of course, to be imitators of Christ. We are children of God. But what we must avoid is the inordinate, the, the misplaced desire to promote self. Humility is the foundation of a virtuous life. It is the acquisition of virtue's first step because, of course, it removes the chief obstacle to virtue, which is pride. If we can remove pride, if we can check pride, then, of course, we can build upon the life of virtue and live a virtuous life. Now, true humility is not to be confused with timidity of being afraid of being unwilling to put oneself out or to put forth effort. Timidity is not humility. True humility is not to be confused with self-disparagement, putting oneself down, looking down upon oneself, not recognizing the gifts, the talents that God has given one. True humility is also not to be confused with a certain self-effacing hypocrisy, what we would call a false humility. And you see this with people sometimes who put themselves down only so that others will build them up. They bring up some slight fault of theirs only so others will bring up all of the great qualities they possess. It's a false humility. True humility is not opposed to the dignity of a Christian life. Yes, we are sinners. Yes, we are nothing without God. But by the grace of God, we are called to greatness. We are called to live the divine life. And humility will allow us to recognize that and will allow us to accomplish that goal. It is not opposed to the dignity of this Christian life. The basis of true humility, of course, is always going to be self-knowledge. It is based on truth. To see oneself as God sees you, to see things as God sees them, that's the basis of true humility. You know, we often say that in order to make progress in the spiritual life, we must know ourselves, we must know our weaknesses so that we can overcome them. We must know our tendencies, our temperament. That's why a time of retreat, a day of recollection, the time we spend in contemplation and meditation is so important because we must gain a a knowledge of self so that we might gain a mastery of self. True humility then will allow us to see ourselves as God sees us, stripped of all the pretense, of all the pretend, We will see things as God sees them, understanding that whatever we encounter in this life is meant to lead us to God, is meant to draw us closer to God, so that like a St. Francis of Assisi, we can see God in all things, in the flowers of the field, the beautiful sunshine, the clouds in the air, whatever it may be, everything will point to the existence of God. True humility then will allow us to recognize the God-given talents that we possess, whether it be a beautiful singing voice or a keen intellect, a sharp wit, a mastery over some craft. We will see that God has given us this talent and we will use this talent for his honor and glory. Again, it's not true humility to hide that talent, but instead we use it for God's honor and glory and for the edification of our neighbor. And so the humble man will recognize whatever talents he possesses, but he will recognize that those talents come from God. He will also recognize his sins, his defects. And this will not bury him. The the humble man will never give in to discouragement. He will recognize that he is a sinner. He will recognize where he has faults, and he will recognize his limitations And thus, he will trust more and more in God. More and more, he will simply allow God to work within him. And that's why humility always implies subjection to God. The humble man will compare himself not to his neighbor, like the Pharisee looking down upon the publican, but he will compare himself to God's greatness, He will recognize that he is nothing without God. He will see his own littleness, his own nothingness, in comparison to the grandeur of God. And therefore, he will subject himself to God. He will subject himself to God's holy will. As I said, humility is based on truth, but it's also based on justice humble man wishes to give all honor and glory to God because he recognizes that all good comes from God and therefore in justice he owes it to God to give his very best efforts. In justice he owes it to God to give his very life, everything he possesses. We are made by God for God and therefore we're meant to return to God. And the humble man will see this, that in truth and justice, he must give himself to the honor and glory of God. The humble man will, of course, recognize that he is a sinner in need of mercy and help. As I said, the knowledge of self is so important in this regard. But he will also recognize the dignity that he possesses as a child of God, that he has by his baptism by the reception of the sacraments, been raised to a new level, that he has been called to return to the simplicity of childhood. The humble man ultimately, and this is such an important point in our spiritual life, in our life of sanctification, the humble man will recognize that his sanctification is the work of God. It is not his work. And the more he abandons himself to the will of God, the more he accepts God's divine providence in his daily life, the more he confides himself in God and has confidence in the Sacred Heart, the more quickly will he gain a life of sanctity and a life of Christian perfection. But that, of course, does not mean that he doesn't exercise a certain effort There are some very practical ways in which we can acquire this beautiful virtue of humility. First and foremost, of course, we must learn to cooperate with God's grace. God will give us the grace to practice humility. He will give us opportunities to grow in humility. And he will give us the grace to perfect ourselves. Therefore, we simply have to cooperate with his grace, be open and docile to his grace. But certainly, we can pray for humility, ask sincerely in prayer for humility. We think of the beautiful Litany of Humility, which was composed by Cardinal Mary Duvall, the Secretary of State for Pope Pius X. He would pray this prayer as a, a prayer of thanksgiving after his mass and communion each morning. Very powerful prayer, but we have to re- realize that, of course, we have to be careful. We will get what we pray for if we truly desire it. Oh, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus from the desire of being honored, from the desire of being praised, from the desire of being preferred, from the desire of being consulted, from the desire of being approved, from the fear of being humiliated, from the fear of being despised, from the fear of suffering rebuke, from the fear of being calumniated, from the fear of being forgotten, from the fear of being ridiculed, from the fear of being wronged, from the fear of being subjected, or suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. That others become holier than I provided that i may become as holy as i should jesus grant me the grace to desire it such a magnificent prayer such a perfect sentiment of humility secondly we can ask or we can accept the humiliations when they come our way rather than trying to run away or to hide our embarrassment we simply accept them Embrace them as coming from the loving hand of God. Let me quote to you from Dom Marmion again in his wonderful book, Union with God, just a collection of his spiritual direction. He says these words Do not be astonished or discouraged at the sight of your imperfections. Not being willful, they draw down the compassion and mercy of our God, who is touched by the weakness of his children. And then he goes, he goes on to say, you are feeling humiliated at seeing that you are worth nothing and to, can do nothing. That is just what the good God wants you to see. It is an excellent thing to feel humbled. And believe me, you are much more in the truth now than when you judged yourself to be better. We must accept the humiliations and they will come. We all suffer them from time to time. Rather than complaining, rather than becoming upset or angry or saddened, we simply accept them and we use them to go to God. What's more, we can accept lovingly our own limitations, our defects, our lowliness, and resign ourselves to them. Now, of course, this does not mean that we become content with mediocrity. We should strive for excellence. But if we learn through time, through effort, through practice, that we are limited, that we do have certain uh, uh, defects, certain uh, faults that we must struggle to overcome. We should not be discouraged. We simply accept the limitations we have, and whatever gifts God has blessed us with, we perfect them, and we use them for his honor and glory. St. Paul says it so beautifully. Gladly will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may dwell in me. St. Paul, who of course received so many signal graces from God to be the great apostle to the Gentiles, a vessel of election. St. Paul, who had accomplished so much, done so much good for the honor and glory of God and for the, 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 uh, the, the spreading of the church, he could truly say, if I'm going to glory, I will glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Once more, I quote to you from Dom Marmion. He says, there are two ways of presenting ourselves before God. Firstly, as the Pharisee of the gospel, leaning on our own works and asking God to reward us for our justice. Quote, I observe all your law. I fast. I give alms. You ought to be satisfied with me. God detests such self-righteous people, though they be really very correct and irreproachable. Or secondly, as St. Paul, quote, I regard all my own righteousness as dung. My whole confidence is in Jesus Christ, who through his merits gives to my works all their value." Hence he glories not in his works, but in his infirmities. Such people are dear to God because they glorify his Son, and this is his sole desire. What are the great enemies? The great sins against humility course, first and foremost, the great sin against humility is pride, which again, we very simply define as the inordinate desire for one's own excellence. Now, there is, of course, a rightful pride, acknowledging one's talents and works, striving for perfection, finding a certain delight in a job well done. That's excellent. That's a a rightful pride that we take in using God's talents and his gifts in order to serve his honor and glory. But what we mean here is a sinful pride. A pride that causes us to hurt others in the pursuit of our own excellence. A pride which causes us to act as if our abilities do not come from God that we are the author of our greatness, of our accomplishments, that all of the virtues, all of the gifts, all of the talents we possess somehow come from us rather than from God. This sinful pride will cause us to be vicious toward our neighbor, to think ourselves better than others, to look down upon others, to compare our own excellence to the failings of our neighbor this sinful pride will cause us to judge our neighbor as the public as the pharisee did to the publican to pretend that we know the very depths of their heart pride of course will creep in to destroy any good work that's why we always have to be on our guard against pride no matter what we may accomplish no matter what good we may do, either for God or our neighbor, if we allow pride to take root in our soul, we will undermine whatever good we had done. We will destroy the beautiful edifice that we had set up. And that's why we must always be on our guard against pride. But what's more, pride also produces other sins, what we call the children of pride. The first of these is sinful ambition. The inordinate desire for honor, for a particular office, a position. And this can be present even in the member of the mystical body of Christ. When we we are overly ambitious, we desire honors. We desire the applause of men. We desire a certain position, a state in life, which perhaps is not beneficial for our eternal salvation. Another child of pride is hypocrisy, pretend virtue, denying that we have faults, trying to cover up our inadequacies. And again, we are all sinners. Again, we all have faults. We all have defects. But the humble soul will recognize that, whereas the soul who's filled with hypocrisy will try to hide that, will pretend to be virtuous when he is not. Often this hypocrisy will manifest itself in a certain oversensitiveness when we are corrected, when someone is preferred to us, when we don't get what we want. If we react too sensitively for that, That is often a sign that perhaps we are pretending to be someone we are not. Another child of pride is disobedience. Wanting to dominate authority and not obey it. Disobedience, which manifests itself in a critical spirit. This is, of course, so important for us in this day and age in which we live. A day and age which is highly critical in which everyone feels the right, the need to criticize one's authority, one's um, better uh, people, those souls that perhaps have been given a certain authority by God. We take shots at people that we see or, or perceive at least to be on a high pedestal hoping to bring them down to our level. We have to be careful of this spirit of disobedience, this spirit of criticism. And then finally, vain glory. The desire to demonstrate one's excellence. Taking a certain complacency in one's talents or looks or gifts, natural abilities. And again, we see this in today's age, Men and women who are, have fallen in love with their own excellence, who are obsessed with their looks, with their talents, have to manifest it at every moment through social media, through the expression of their ideas. What does St. John the Baptist say? I must decrease so that our Lord may increase. Humility is so important for the apostle of the sacred heart. God loves the humble soul. It is a prerequisite for holiness. And as I said, especially today, when we have to combat the promotion of self through social media, through the selfishness of our culture, we must learn to be humble. And that humility is, of course, is simply a recognition that all good comes from God. God. That we belong to God. In fact, Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre once said that the distinctive characteristic of humility is the conviction of the greatness of God in the littleness of man. How can we know if we're making progress in the virtue of humility? Well, ask yourself, am I convinced of the greatness of God in the littleness of man? The Archbishop would go on to say that humility must lead to dependence on God. And in fact, the Archbishop says that what will strike us most at the moment of our death is the realization of our dependence on God. Of everything that will strike us at that moment of death, the most important, the one that will be most striking, is we will realize beyond a shadow of a doubt Just how much man depends upon God for everything, for his life, for his daily sustenance, for his spiritual growth, for his happiness, all depends upon God. Humility, of course, is the best disposition for contemplating God, for understanding God, for having the wisdom of God, for being with God. Humility opens the soul to God, opens the soul to the treasures of the sacred heart. Father Matteo tells us there are three ways to acquire humility. Now, he's addressing priests, and I, I will quote you from a, a beautiful book, Father Matteo Speaks to Priests, but it applies to each one of us. He says the first means to use is obedience to one's superiors. And, of course, all of us have superiors. There's not a single soul that doesn't have someone to report to. Even the highest authority, of course, they must report to God. I quote Father Mateo, The first means to use is one I do not hesitate to call infallible, that of obedience to one's bishop or superiors, but perfect obedience. Obey, bend your character to the yoke of submission without reservations, Love to be directed. Prefer the opinions and likes of your superiors to your own. Follow their directives, and you will have a granite base on which to build the edifice of your priestly life, of your spiritual life. Never forget that your success in the eyes of God, and this is the only success that matters, is closely tied in with your spirit of obedience. Yes, God will always give you graces in abundance if you come to Him by the path of obedience. When you make a mistake, the virtue of obedience will correct the error and double your merit. Leave the responsibility to those in authority and remain in the peace that comes to those who obey. In a certain sense, they enjoy a sort of moral infallibility. They will always be right, even when objectively they are wrong. For obedience is the surest guarantee of being right before God. So the first way to acquire humility is obedience. Secondly, Father Mateo says, it is practice. Now for another practical piece of advice. What is the second means of blocking the flood of pride and of learning the lesson of humility? I reply by asking you a question. What is the best way to learn a language? By practicing it and sometimes even by murdering it so as to speak it fluently When I was in Korea, missionaries told me the story of one of their number who had a hard time mastering the language. Once when preaching to men on heaven, he used the wrong inflection, and instead of saying as he intended, heaven will one day be your reward, he solemnly told them, one day your reward will be a lady's hat. This is learning the hard way. In your dealings with those in authority and among yourselves, you have plenty of occasions. You will find them in your daily life. If you cooperate with grace, remain silent when you are blamed for something which could easily, easily be expl- explained. But Jesus kept silence. Swallow that bitter pill. And if a confrere, for example, has hurt you in a moment of excitement or through carelessness, go and shake hands with him. Do something for him in a friendly way to master your nerves and to place a restraint on your heart, vibrating with feelings of indignation and desires to assert its rights. Through this practice, do violence to yourself and you will acquire that meekness and humility of heart so indispensable to your ministry. We know the beautiful theories by heart. It is even possible to write magnificent dissertations on the grandeur of humility and at the same time be burning up with pride. Learn this divine language by practicing it daily. So the second means of acquiring humility is practice. And then finally, the third way to acquire humility is to recognize our helplessness without Christ. The third and final basis for humility is our helplessness in our ministry. I refer to our absolute powerlessness to touch and convert souls, despite our eloquence, our knowledge, and our hard work. Once more, without him who gives the increase, we can do nothing. Even though you have labored throughout the night, casting your nets right and left like the apostles— Jesus has kept to himself the secret of catching souls, and he reveals this secret only to those humble souls whom he knows will not attempt to rob him of his glory. And so humility is absolutely necessary for the apostle of the sacred heart. We have to combat the modern spirit of promotion of self with the humble service of God, Humility is the foundation virtue. According to St. Thomas Aquinas, humility will always naturally lead to three things. The first is subjection to God, to rely on God. If we are humble, we will rely on God for all things. Secondly, humility naturally leads to submission to our neighbor for God's sake. The humble soul will always put his neighbor's needs above his own. And then finally, St. Thomas says that humility will naturally lead to moderation in our acts. That we will see all good as coming from God. And that we will keep a beautiful balance in our life. Giving all honor and glory back to God. Serving our neighbor in a spirit of love. In a spirit of true humility. Ultimately, this spirit of humility, this humility of heart so loved by the sacred heart will simply cause us to become as little children destined for God, belonging to God, submissive to God. And remember what our Lord himself said, suffer the little children to come to me. Humility is that path which clears the way for us to return to God, to give ourselves to God, to give ourselves to our neighbor for the love of God. Our Lord Himself tells us, "'Learn of me, for I am meek and humble of heart.' He is the way, the truth, and the life." This humility of heart is absolutely necessary for a true apostle of the Sacred Heart. This humility of heart is a characteristic of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore, It must be a characteristic of each of his followers.